Well, this morning, I want to take you to a place, hopefully, that you're familiar with. If you're not, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Once I start, then you can check out and you don't have to listen at all. But I think you'll miss an opportunity to hear what Jesus has to say to us this morning from his word. I want to start the message this morning by sharing with you something that I struggle with. Now, I know I'm among friends when I know I'm not the only one that struggles, but this is what I struggle with. Sometimes when it comes to my faith, I struggle with doubt. I struggle with doubt. And how do I define doubt? Doubt is, it's a feeling of uncertainty. You're just not sure. It's, it's that feeling you get when you live in Warland, Wyoming, like we did, and you get on one of these airplanes for Great Lakes Airlines that has two propellers, and when you get in the plane, you can't hear anything but the propellers. There's 18 seats that look like they ripped them out of the back of a Volkswagen, and when the pilots get on, they both look like they just finished their junior high graduation. And there's a little hole in the front that you can see the pilots the whole time, and there's a net behind you where your luggage is, and you know that this plane ride from Warland, Wyoming to Denver is going to increase your prayer life 100-fold. That's the kind of doubt I'm talking about outside in life, but we're going to talk about this doubt that comes in our relationship with Christ and our faith. And You know, I don't know what you, and you do when you doubt, but when I doubt, a lot of times I'll go to the Word and look for reinforcements with a notion that I'll find strength and comfort for my struggle and instead... Sometimes I find these followers of Jesus like Noah building boats for a hundred years. I'm like, I don't know if I could build a boat for a week. Moses, Esther, Ruth, David, and Job, and these faithful men and women trusted God even with the most difficult of circumstances. They had a hard time. When I read these great historical stories from the scriptures, like you, I probably get to a place where I realize these were not superheroes. They didn't have big letters on their chest or special outfits that caused them to have superhuman power. They're just like you and me. Now, there are times I find it difficult to relate to them. Do you have trouble relating to conquering kings and faithful bow builders? I find more of a kinship with the stubborn, hard-headed prophets. What do you think? Anybody stubborn or hard-headed? That's where I usually find my kinship. I'll dig deeper into the scriptures, and I find relief in the doubters in the Bible. I mean, at least people don't refer to me as doubting Scott, right? I mean, poor Thomas. He takes all the grief for being a doubter. However, he's surely not the only one that doubted in the Bible, if you've read your Bible right. There was Adam and Eve doubted. These are people that walked with God in the cool of the garden. They still were a little uncertain. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, the list goes on and on. They were all doubters. And, and all the disciples, remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they ran away in doubt. Not just Thomas. One guy says he ran away and he's left his cloak behind him. See, I believe I'm among friends in this room this morning that they've had a similar struggle with doubt. 
And I know it's difficult to admit because there are some people that come from, from Christian circles where doubt is seen as weakness and frailty. And it's only seen in the new baby believers and, and those who have been followers of Christ for many years who are pastors, they're not supposed to doubt. And if you do, you certainly don't admit it. You don't want to share that. And when you begin to doubt, sometimes you begin to ask questions. They're what-if questions. Like, what if it's not all true? But what if Jesus was a lunatic? Like C.S. Lewis said, he's either liar, lunatic, or what? Or Lord. What if he was a lunatic? What if somebody stole the body and he never rose from the dead? Would it shake your faith if someday they found a, 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 a tomb, a box that had Jesus on the side? You know, Jesus was a very common name, by the way. Are you like, uh-oh. What if the Bible isn't true? What if my parents just made up all this heaven and hell stuff to keep me in line? Right? You can't see H-E double toothpicks. You can't say that. I got whipped with a belt for saying F-A-R-T. My brother told on me, and I got whipped with a belt. I remember rolling around at the bunk bed. Ah! It didn't kill me, but you know what I mean? What if it's not real? See, we have to be careful. We feel like many times to who we share our doubt with. Are you with me? You have to be careful because there'll always be some self-righteous believer who questions your salvation and your commitment to Christ the moment you mention that there are times when you have doubts about God and your faith. You know what they say? Just have faith. Just have faith. I'm going to look at what, what the Scriptures say. I want to say answer a question this morning in the, the time we have left. And the question is this. Can a person both have belief and doubt and at the same time still be a follower of Christ? Don't say anything. Don't nod your head. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I know some of you are like, and I wasn't going to do it anyway because I don't do what pastors ask me to do. This is a follower of Christ. Is it sinful to have both belief in God and his promises but also have times of doubt? Now, thankfully, we're not the only folks to deal with this strange combination of belief and doubt. See, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Mark chapter 9. That's where we're going to be. And we're going to look mostly in verses uh, 20 through 25. But I'm going to start at uh, verse 14. If you want to go there, Mark 9. Verse 14 says, When they came together the, to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law, scribes, were arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech, and whenever it sees him, it throws him to the ground. 
foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive a spirit out, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If I can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed. He blurted out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd, he's running to the scene. I was running there. He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like the corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet as he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, disciples asked him privately, why couldn't you drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at your word today, we ask your spirit to teach us to open our hearts to hear what it is you have to say to us from your word. Remind us again that it's your word. Help us to, to learn things that we've never heard before from your spirit. Teach us. Cause us to draw closer to you. Pray this morning that all that's done here today would be done for in your power and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, many of you are probably familiar with that passage. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you've never heard that passage before, raise your hand. All right, let's pray. We'll go home. <laughs> you see, the scriptures tell us there's this crowd of people, including teachers of the law. They were arguing. Jesus comes on the scene. This guy brings his son. His son who's foaming at the mouth and rolling all over the ground. Can you imagine this man and what he's going through? His poor son. Jesus asks how long he's been like this. The father tells him, and then he tosses out the statement as he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. Now, I can't respond for Jesus, but I think Jesus heard this and probably looked around and maybe said, did he just say, if I can do anything? It's interesting, this man's talking to the creator of the universe. He made millions of galaxies, billions, they say, of galaxies. And this man says, you know, if you can do anything, help us. The man wasn't trying to be disrespectful, I don't think. Remember, this man had spent all day watching the disciples go, come out. What did Jesus say again? How are we supposed to do this? They couldn't make it happen, and he was probably a little frustrated. Jesus makes it clear that everything is possible for the person who believes. But then this man, he's, he cries out, he says, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my doubt. Help me in my uncertainty. You know what I love about this guy? 
and maybe you do too, his honesty. He was honest about that, whatever it was, however big it was, this doubt that he had. He doesn't tell Jesus what he thinks he, he wants to hear so that his son can get healed, and he doesn't simply say, I believe. Now, heal my son, and we'll, we'll move along. Now, what this guy does is he gets gut-level honest with Jesus. Who can see his heart? And he said, I believe, even though there's a small part of me, however big it is, that still is uncertain, that still has doubts. And thankfully, Jesus didn't say, sorry, you don't have enough faith, sir. Have a nice day. Take your demon boy home with you. You know, there are people in churches today that pray for healing. They don't get healed. And the leaders of the church say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. It's your fault you weren't healed. This is not one of those churches. He didn't say, this is why your boy's possessed. You just don't have enough faith. What Jesus did is he saw this man's small amount of faith, even with the doubts at the back of his mind, a faith probably not much bigger than the mustard seed Jesus talks about, and he healed this man's son. It's one of my favorite passages from the Gospel of Mark. I believe, help me in my unbelief. It's hard to say sometimes, isn't it? We don't want people to know that sometimes we waver. I, don't, I believe God created the universe. He spoke it into existence, the Bible says. Doesn't that make your mind go, no. It's what it does to me. It's like unbelievable. How, how in the world did that happen? I wasn't there, but I want to see the video someday when we get to heaven, if that's possible. As we look at this passage this morning, I want to answer this question that I posed at the beginning. Can a person have both belief and doubt at the same time and still follow God? Now, I hope this is good news, but the answer, I believe, is yes. The passage, along with others, undoubtedly teaches us that there are times that even with a strong faith, we can have times of doubt. Some of the great heroes of the faith have served God and have doubts. And these folks loved, they served, they followed God, but at times, they had doubt. So how should we handle our belief mixed with doubts? We're going to look at the passage and we look at these points. First of all, know this. God can use our doubts to help deepen our relationship with him. Has anybody seen that happen in their own life? God can use your doubt to deepen your relationship with him. My pastor said it like this. Listen to this quote. Doubt is like a spiritual drought, a starless night of the soul, a low tide when faith seems to have retreated forever. Nearly all of us experience these dry, dark, difficult times when God doesn't seem real and it's hard to keep going, much less growing. Sometimes these low tides of faith are connected with events. The death of a loved one, a broken relationship, a loss of a job, a prolonged illness, questions raised by a book or a professor. Sometimes they seem to come out of nowhere. It's sunny and bright outside, but inside you feel dark and cloudy and gray and empty. As a pastor, I have to deal with matters of faith and doubt on a daily basis, but it's not just other people's faith struggles I have to face. I experience my own high and low tides of faith, even in the midst of an active ministry. He finished by saying this, Through it all, I've learned that doubt can be a doorway to spiritual growth, which results in a deeper relationship with Christ. See, when I struggle with doubt, I find myself seeking God even more than I normally would for answers. 
and help from my doubt and uncertainty. And it always seems to deepen my faith. I don't always get textbook answers to my doubt. However, I found that diving deeply into the ocean of God's word always draws me closer to him, even if my doubts are not always answered. Amen? God can use that doubt to help you grow. Second, ask God to help you with your doubt or unbelief. That's novel, isn't it? (laughs) Ask him. If you don't have wisdom in James, what does he say? Ask for it. How many times have you just heard God, 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 and God goes, why don't you just ask? God's not playing games with us. We don't serve a God who plays games. Ask God to help you with your doubt. See, the New Testament book of Jude, here's what he says. Have mercy on those who doubt. Doesn't say kick them out of church. It doesn't say make fun of them. It doesn't say question their salvation. It says have mercy on those who doubt. This man in our passage in Mark here knew that though he believed, there was still this pocket of unbelief. So he asked Jesus, help me with my unbelief. We should do the same thing. Something as simple as God, I do not believe that you created the universe, but there's, or I do believe you created the universe, but there's still this part of me that it's not 100% sure. Help me in my unbelief. Or God, I really don't understand why this happened in my life, and I know that you're working out everything for my good. But there's a part of me that doesn't believe it. Help me with my unbelief. It's that simple. It's God to help you. Sometimes we try to make things more difficult than they have to be. Are you one of those people? Maybe you are. I've always thought it was fascinating for people that they just like to repeat this. I'm just one of those people that just has to learn things the hard way. And I try to tell people, no, you don't have to be that person. Like, that's a choice. (laughs) Right? God doesn't want to make it that difficult for us when it comes to knowing his word. It's clear. It's that simple. And think about this. God already knows about your doubt anyway. Like, have you ever prayed? And then thought, I'm not going to tell God that. What do you think he doesn't know? I believe it pleases God when we acknowledge our struggles and say, Lord, you you know I'm struggling with this, but I want to talk to you about it because I know it's part of this relationship that we have. Third, the third thing is this. We must be honest with everyone, including God, about our doubts. I almost jumped ahead there for a second. That's, that's what we're really saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I believe we see here. See, doubting is natural. However, some are living with a false assumption that any doubt is considered sin. See, if we're honest, or if we're not honest about our occasional doubts, they can become destructive. And for some, it can even lead to destruction of their faith. You've seen it in people today. It's real popular. People deconstructing their faith. So you can't just let doubt linger. It's dangerous when we do that. See, we need to remember this. Our faith is in Christ. We need to remember that it is still a faith, though, in something and someone that you and I have never seen. The only way we see Jesus is in each other. Are you aware of that? There used to be a song they used to sing. I had the cassette. It's called, You're the only Jesus some people will ever see. 
We see Jesus in one another through his spirit. Now, we don't need T-shirts that say, I believe in God, but I have doubts. I mean, if you want to wear one that says that, you can. I've seen this new hat on the Internet that I want. It says, Jesus took naps, be like Jesus. Mark 4, 38 or Mark 4, 28. That's not what I'm saying. This is not necessary. I, I might get the hat, though. I know you want it to. Don't don't. Also, Pastor Selwyn Hughes said this. He said, those who doubt most and yet strive to overcome their doubts turn out to be some of Christ's strongest disciples. Now, if you're still doubting that a believer can believe in doubt and still be a follower of Christ, I want you to listen to these words from the Gospel of Matthew as we get to the end of this message. I want you to hear this because I think it's so important because there's always that person who goes, yeah, I don't ever want to be one of those people that doubt. I'm going to tell you, someday you will be when you see Jesus and you're like him. There will be no more doubt. No more. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more doubt. But I want you to listen to this because I think this brought me comfort as I looked at it. The last words of Matthew that he used to describe the disciples. I want you to get ready for this. It's a last glimpse of these men who followed Jesus for three years, who learned from him, who watched him do miracles, who watched him walk on water, who watched him steal the storm, who saw him crucified and rise again. Here's what Matthew says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted some still doubted these 11 disciples had seen it all they'd even seen the resurrected Christ and some were still like I'm, I'm just not see Matthew could have covered this up it really makes the gospels and the and the, and the writing and, and God's word even more authentic because he could have covered it up. He could have hid it. Why would somebody make up a story like this to advertise that the leaders of the New Testament church and in its infancy had doubts? Now, in the face of all those doubts, what does Jesus say next? He says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And surely, I'm always with you, even to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus didn't say, you know, once you're absolutely certain to the core, then go. He looks at these worshiping, doubting guys, and he says, you go. You go. You doubters, go. Go tell the world the good news about me, the very news you're doubting with your own eyes right now. I know it seems too good to be true, but I want you to get up and you want you to go. All you doubters, you go, and I'll go with you. As you go to share about me with others, you'll find your own doubts will begin to fade. Oh, you'll have new doubts along the way, and I'll be with you 
and those two standing right in front of you. You see, disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and they worship. They doubt and they serve. They doubt and they give. They doubt and they help others with their doubts. What disciples do. See, when you find yourself doubting your faith, take some time to get in the Word. Take time to pray. Ask God to help you to understand His Word through the power of His Holy Spirit as you read the Word. Ask God to help you to understand the challenges that you have in your face sometimes. We all have different stories. We all come from different places. But at one time or another, God took a dead person and made you alive. Amen? You know you didn't have anything to do with it. God didn't need your help. If you want a God that needs your help to save you, you need a better God. Amen? See, if you'll dig into the Word, many times God will remove the doubt and He'll cause you to grow in your faith. In my own experience as a follower of Christ for over 50 years, most of my spiritual growth has come from times of doubt. Doubt has caused me to seek God through prayer and Bible study and has caused me to draw closer to Him. So this morning as we close, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Don't run from doubt. It's easy to do that, right? Even if you don't like to run, you'll run from down. Don't run from down. But instead, be honest with God and others around you, people you care about, people that you trust, people that love Jesus like you. Be honest about your doubt. Ask God to help you with your doubt when it comes and Instead of allowing doubt to drive you away from God, I encourage you to pray, seek his face, so that he can cause the doubt to deepen your relationship with him. 